0: Crystal,
1: you're so chipper for being sick again. I gave it right back to you uh,
0: again. I know, and we <laughs> we're not even in person, so that's kind of weird that it would transfer via Zoom. Yeah. Well, you know what's yeah. funny is
1: I was uh, listening to Morbid one of their episodes from like early July, um, uh-huh. which is roughly a month ago, and they were sick, yeah, too. Oh, see, well, it's going around. Yeah, it has been. So, yeah.
0: So anyways, you feel better. Uh, You're for, all good. For the
1: most part. I still I get I am especially prone to laryngitis. Like, oh, uh, I just I can give it to I I mess up my voice by sneezing too hard. Oh So yeah. I sound kind of wonky, but I feel mm-hmm. mostly better.
0: OK, well,
1: but you know what? We need to welcome everyone <laughs> back because yes.
0: Welcome.
1: Welcome back to Alternative Interests.
0: You're Crystal.
1: You're Kat. And We are sick.
0: We are sick in the head. <laughs> so here we go. <laughs> I do want to give a warning out right now that this is very disturbing. And for me to say that something is disturbing to even me, that's like, that means to the ordinary person who isn't a fan of researching stuff like this. I mean, I'm I'm highly disturbed by this whole entire story. So, okay. it does involve child murder and um and I know people are very sensitive to that, especially my husband, so maybe that trigger warning was just for him.
1: <laughs> well, I know a lot of people like crimes against kids are their thing. Yeah. So, I guess um, the point of your warning is that this is a warning right off the top that this is horrible. Right off the top.
0: Yes. And there
1: are no more warnings coming because it's just horrible on top of horrible.
0: Yes. And um, I think some people will already know this case already. I don't think it's been covered that extensively in the podcast world, but uh, I do know that there are tons of. Well, not tons. There's two documentaries made about this case, and then there is a book about this case, too. And I'll mention the names of all those documentaries and books um, later on. But this is basically a story about a mother's love, which I'm a mom, so... (laughs) I get it, right? Yes. Well, everybody gets it. It's just mother's love. But see, when I think, so I tell my kids all the time, like whenever I get mad at them or something, you know, I I say, you know, I'm disappointed in A, B, or C, but I just want you to know that there is nothing in this world you can do to make me ever not love you anymore. You know, so I, I I've had these conversations with my son, and and blah blah blah, and um, I can't imagine that there's anything that my kids could do that I would just like write them off and say goodbye. And that is kind of like the
1: the like thing to remember going through this. Or
0: that, yes, that is I don't know, know the story. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're going to get it in a second, okay. but you know, uh, you're going to get it in a second. Okay. So yes, a mother's love. This is the story of Paris and Ella Bennett. So, uh, I'm going to start off with their mom. Their mom, her name is Charity Lee, she was the only child of James and Kyla Bennett. And they were actually the owners of a very, very successful shipping company back in the 80s. Like, uh, as a matter of fact, I think Kyla Bennett was more of the brains behind the business and James uh, did the work too, but it was like a trucking shipping company. They had a major contract with a big postal carrier at the time and they were making really, really good money. Okay. So so this is
1: similar to like DHL or one like FedEx. Basically. Kind of like
0: that. Basically. Yeah. And, um, charity was their only daughter, um, and by the way, Kyla, again, she was the, uh, the brains behind the business. She was a beautiful woman. I was walking the documentary, the family I had, and, uh, they were showing pictures of Kyla when she was younger. And I mean, a beautiful woman, dad, wasn't bad looking either. Uh, dad worked a lot. It. And I say work loosely because he also had other side businesses going on, but it was the two of them, they had a lot of money, they were doing very well, but their relationship was very rocky, James and Kyla, and they ended up separating early on um, when Charity was just a baby. They were separated and they were kind of on the outs. So Charity really didn't see her dad all too much. When in the summer of 1980, when Charity was six years old, her father, who again she was never around because uh the father and the mother had already separated, was one day found dead in his home in Atlanta, oh. Georgia. Yeah, police found his body. Uh, he had been shot several times in the back of the head, and to the police, this looked like an execution style murder, right? Yeah. Um... The other businesses that I had mentioned before that James was involved in were things like drug, tra- drug? drug trafficking and auto theft.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, so so really when you looked at this situation and when the police looked and it looked like an execution, it could have been a number of like a deal gone wrong or someone that he owed money to or someone that he wronged. Now, remember though, I said that uh, they had been separated, James and Kyla were separated for years however 57 hours before the murder they had remarried after a whirlwind trip to Las Vegas oh yes that is horrible timing very horrible timing so uh Kyla she even though they both had created the business together it was really the dad that was kind of in charge like his face and his name and she was doing kind of like the business side but as far as their finances were involved like she was signing everything for the business right and so since he had passed she was in line to take over everything okay like it would all be in her name I mean it makes sense yeah after he died but are
1: you getting at this is like a motive
0: here Well, so police arrested Kyla shortly after the murder, and they charged her with hiring a hitman to kill her husband. They said they had evidence that she had been talking about this and had hired a hitman months prior to the murder. This was a highly sensationalized case um, at the time in Atlanta. So everybody knew about it because, you know, she was beautiful. They were successful. They owned a a very popular, um, well-known business.
1: He's involved Um, in drugs. He's involved in drugs. The split up, get back together thing. Exactly. It's got all the big key things for a scandal.
0: All the makings of a great drama. Plus... James's father was actually a part of the Georgia Mafia. Oh, there's a Georgia. (laughs) There is a Georgia Mafia, if you did not know. And so. Kyla swears that it was her father-in-law that had convinced the police to arrest her. Like, he had a couple of policemen in his back pocket. Um, Anyways, she went um, through a whole trial. She spent six weeks in jail. Uh, Her trial was actually six weeks long. And while this was all going on, Charity, who was six years old, was staying with her grandparents. Maternal or paternal? Uh, with uh, maternal, yes. Okay. So when all of this was said and ju- done, a jury actually acquitted Kyla. That's so good. she was she was set free. There were no charges. Uh, she didn't get. She wasn't found guilty got her daughter, Charity, back, and basically from that point on, she just worked hard to get her company back on track because, of course, all of this media and all of this kind of did damage to the company, so she had to get to work to get everything back on track, right. which she did, but that also meant that she couldn't spend as much time with Charity as she had prior to this incident. Now that dad is gone and mom's taken over 100% of the business um, and has to work really hard to keep it running, Charity hardly saw her mom. She was always with nannies. Um, they stayed in town and kids at school would often bully her about her father's death oh. and her mother's involvement. Like, Oh, are you the girl? You, didn't your mom kill your dad? Kids and they're shitty. I know kids are shitty. And um, mom in the documentary, the family I had would say later that, you know, when she went to the grocery store and stuff, like women would stop her in the middle of the grocery store and go, Oh my gosh, weren't you the lady that killed her husband and and she's like she could never get away with it I mean not with it she could never get away from it yeah it's like okay let it go right Um, when Charity was 12 years old the relationship with her mother began to change. I think it's because Charity was getting older and she was kind of realizing that her mom really wasn't there for her that much. And um, so they were also, since Charity was getting into her teen years, she was kind of, you know, bumping heads with uh, with her mom. They really didn't see eye to eye on really anything. Um, the relationship just was very strained between her and her mother. This
1: is um, really sad because... You know that um, Kyla is only so separate from Charlie yeah. because she's trying to fix this company so that exactly. she can support them as a family. It's just this past um, twenty-two, it's, it,
0: yeah. Because if you're always home, you're not making money, and then if you're never home, that means you're providing for your family. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like a you you can't. Do both. It's impossible. I mean, it's the
1: struggle of the single parent household. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. And that's exactly what she was. She was a single parent. She did provide everything for charity. I mean, she had nannies. It's not like she left her without any care at all. Um, And again, they're a very well-off family. Um, So in... Many documentaries and in her memoir, Charity says that she just grew up feeling like her mom didn't like her very much. Um, And Kyla would later say that it's not that she didn't like her daughter. She just felt that as her daughter was growing older, she didn't like the choices she was making. And she even says one thing that I thought was very interesting. She said, I just wouldn't do things the way she was doing things. So it just sounded like they were very much opposite People, especially as charity got older, they just, yeah, didn't they're just see eye different, to eye. They're
1: different people.
0: Yeah. Kyla would also later say, you know, I think she was resentful that it, it wasn't just she wasn't the center of my world. I had work and then I also still enjoyed my personal life. So it sounds like she was working hard and she was also having a lot of fun. And I think for Charity, that kind of stung a little bit. That she just wasn't focusing, when she wasn't focusing on work, just focusing on, on her. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So Charity was a very just wild teenager. She loved to party. Unfortunately, by the time Charity was, a, was like it, 14, 15, she was already hooked on heroin.
1: Oh. Um,
0: yeah, um, her mom actually kicked her out of the house when she was 17. And, uh, uh the story that Charity says is that her mom gave her a hundred dollars and said to her, you're, you either can take this and use it to find help or find it to buy drugs and go overdose somewhere Oh, is what her mother. Yeah. Isn't that like, <laughs> that's a little, little awful. And I don't know, maybe that was. Her version of tough love, you know, I don't know.
1: And I mean, this is also coming from charity. So who knows how her own personal view has skewed the actual message there. But
0: exactly. So
1: kind of harsh. I I completely understand the, you know, if you're not going to help yourself, then get out of my house like a lot of people do it that's just
0: but that would be so hard to do but then when i see parents who make these choices and who are like you know i have tried everything and they're just not they're not getting it and they're still hooked on drugs i can see where your patience and you're just like there is nothing more i can do with
1: it's like at a certain point you're like i cannot support your habit anymore I'm trying to support your growth and it's just not working. And I just, I can't have this on me anymore.
0: And honestly, at that point, you're, aren't you just waiting for something bad to happen? Not that you want it to, but that's like, probably like, I, you know, I don't know. I can't help them. And that would be the worst feeling ever knowing that you can't do anything about it as a parent. Um, so Charity took the 100 She ended up spending half of it on drugs, and she actually spent the other half on gas uh, to get her to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, did she know someone there, or what no, was there? No, so she just wanted a fresh start. That's where she wanted to go. Her mom kicked her out, uh, and that's where her $50 in gas, I guess, took her. Okay. So it was there that she met a man um, and began a relationship with him, but... In that relationship, things weren't going well. Um, I He was also into drugs, obviously. And it was just a really miserable time in Charity's life. She really didn't see a way out of this. And she was like severely depressed and she had no direction. And so she made a deal with herself. She's, she told herself, if I still feel this way in three months, I'm going to commit suicide by overdosing. Like, she just made a deal with herself. Oh, that's If so sad. this is the life I'm still living, if I can't turn this around in three months, I'm just going to take a bunch of drugs and overdose and end this all. Um, a month before her self-imposed deal, she actually found out she was pregnant with her first child, and this was with the man she had met right when she had gotten to Chattanooga. She so was is eight- this
1: her, like, Hail Mary, going to change my life for this?
0: This is exactly what it was. Yes, she was 18. Um, Paris, her son, was born in October of 1993. Um, And she says that Paris literally saved her life. That's so cute. That he changed everything for her. And she even said that when he was a little baby, she would tell him that all the time. She would say, Paris, when you get older, remind me to tell you about how you saved my life. Oh,
1: that's cute.
0: Yeah. And so and and she loved this baby. She got clean. She uh, turned her life around. Um, The Paris's father actually left shortly after he was born Um, and around when Paris was 17 months old. His father came actually back into the picture, but that's when she found out that he was actually a paranoid. He had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and he was also suffering from audio and visual hallucinations.
1: Oh, Um, that's so sad because uh, that means Paris is probably genetically predisposed to having those issues later in life.
0: I guess we're gonna find out, aren't we? Oh, uh-huh,
1: I just ruined um, it. Okay.
0: <laughs> so the that relationship didn't work out. He he was around Paris for a couple of months, but it just didn't work out, and he eventually left. He wasn't involved in his life at all. She ended up staying clean for years uh they lived in Alabama for a short time and things were going well um she would marry another man named Brendan but that was also very short-lived uh Charity was only married twice um in her life and both marriages the time equaled to less than a year so (laughs) she wasn't the best at like she said in one of the documentaries I just don't make the best choices in regards to men, but Brendan. It was funny because she's she was talking about Brendan. She's like, you can ju- you can tell just by looking at his picture why I married him. And Brendan was like this <laughs> this this like professional swimmer. She's like, you could hang a hat on his bottom. Like she was <laughs> like, and he was he was a very good looking man, but that just didn't work out. Um, and really, the only man she really cared about, or boy, was Paris. Paris was just the center of her world. Uh, Charity describes Paris as just very smart, very caring. They were always together. Um, He was a very calm child, started drawing at the age of three. She said he had tantrums, but nothing like out of the ordinary or out of the norm um, when he was smaller.
1: Right. I mean, toddlers throw fits all the time.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Years later, she would meet Jonathan Smith. Unfortunately, Jonathan Smith was an alcoholic, so we can just tell how that relationship's going. But it was in that relationship that she got pregnant with her second child, Ella. Um, And when she got pregnant with Ella... She did notice that Paris was a little jealous about that. Like he really didn't when she had the belly, he really didn't connect with the fact that, you know, this was happening. And again, this it's it's all typical. It is
1: typical. Some kids like immediately know what's up. And then other kids, it's more abstract and they don't connect. They don't get it.
0: Yeah. So when she got pregnant, Paris was probably about eight or nine. Um, So he was old enough to kind of realize what was going on. And so I do believe that his jealousy... That does feel a little old. Yeah. Yeah. And so I do believe his jealousy was justified right all of a sudden you're the center of your mom's world and then now she's going to have another baby yeah but in the documentary uh charity says that as soon as ella was born like paris just fell in love with ella oh, that's and cute. he and he was a great great big brother unfortunately the relationship with ella's father ended so in 2005 um Charity took Ella and Paris and they moved to Dallas to be closer to her mom. Remember, she still has a really strained relationship with her mom, but she wanted her mom to be close to the grandkids as well. So um, and her mom was also diagnosed with breast cancer at that point. Oh, so so it's kind
1: of, you know, you're sick. Let's give this. shot. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So she moved to Dallas to be closer with her mom. Um, she actually worked at a concert promotions business. So she was working extremely long nights. And unfortunately, uh, when Paris was 11, so Ella had to have been two years old at the time, um, she relapsed on cocaine. And this relapse was Lasted for about six months, and Paris is 11. He's old enough to know what's happening, yeah. And uh, he had to kind of pick up the slack for his mom at home. So hard, and Charity believes that this was kind of like a turning point for Paris and just like started developing this anger towards his mom. Um, you know, like that, she's do, she's relapsed, she's doing cocaine. I have to take care of my little sister. Um, and so she kind of pinpoints this, this, you know, moment in the timeline of their lives as kind of like a, this where is a she, big
1: turning point where his yeah. childhood effectively ends.
0: Exactly. And that
1: is way too soon. And exactly. you know, he, he doesn't have, I, I don't think at 11 you have the mental capacity to articulate the, my mom's busy. It's all he knows is, Mom's not here. Yeah. And I have to take care of things and like as a kid that's hard.
0: It sucks. So, um for 6 months she relapsed, but then, you know, she's kind of like struggling to like stop this train from like, you know, it being a disaster. So she decides to take the kids. She's going to get away from, you know, whatever triggered this relapse. And so she decided to move back to Alabama with Ella's father. And this is when they actually get married, Ella's father and, um, and charity, but that only lasted a few months and they ended up divorcing again. So shortly after that, Uh, Charity takes the kids and she goes back to Seymour, Texas. And this time she starts living with her mom. Her mom has this sprawling, just ranch property, but things just become more chaotic and not because of drugs or anything like that, because Charity is pretty much staying clean, um, at this point. But the fact that she's living with her mom, They don't, they have a very dysfunctional relationship um, and she was trying to just figure out like how she could just stand on her own two feet without her mom, you know, and without her mom's money basically too. Because from what I gather from reading everything and watching everything, I know that Charity and Ella and Paris were always very financially taken care of. So they were never like in dire, you know, need of anything. Um, one day though, at Charity's mom's house, the kids were playing, um, with another little girl who was over. Paris was playing with them and Paris breaks a toy that Ella and the other little girl were playing with. So Ella starts to cry. So Charity puts Paris in a timeout and then she stepped away, uh, just for a moment from the kids who were right there playing and, um... one of the housekeepers started shouting that Paris had a knife and he was trying to hurt Ella. Yeah. What? And so Charity immediately goes to the living room where this is happening, but then... Paris bolts out the door so Charity and her mom get in the car go try to find him he's like down the road a bit and he's waving the knife at him and he won't put the knife down and they're trying to calm him down they're trying to get him into the car and they were kind of like okay whoa and he's 12 now he's 11 or 12 at this point yeah wow that's Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. And so at this point, they're kind of like, okay, something's a little off. Now, prior to this, there had been bits and pieces of little, you know, things that Paris had done that they were kind of like, huh, that's weird. But he kind of almost flew under the radar with a lot of those things. Like if he was very, very upset, he would like hit his head against like the wall or something like that. But again, they didn't, they didn't, uh, this wasn't a cause for concern for them. And I think the reason why this wasn't a cause of concern for Charity or her mom is because I think they had their own dysfunctional relationship that was const that was blaring louder than anything the kids were doing. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. So in the, overarching like the adults are dealing with the adult problems so Uh the little stuff the kids do almost gets waved off or ignored because it's like okay a lot of kids don't know how and paris is being moved back and forth uh he went through a a whole series of a lot of really big life changes with several Uh moves uh Two different stepfather figures coming in and out of his life via marriages and divorces. New sibling meeting grandma who is sick when they first meet and now not sick anymore. And he's pretty young during all of this. That's a lot of emotion for such a little body to handle. And sometimes you got to you got to get it out for sure. So I know it's probably more common than people realize for kids to use a physically aggressive body language to get some of their emotions out because they don't know what else to do
0: for sure yeah um so after this incident though I think they kind of looked at those other little like incidents and they were like okay they're all maybe adding the, up yeah maybe this kid is is needing help so uh Charity takes him to the Red River Hospital. It's a psychiatric facility there in, um, in there nearby. and um, because she now just wants to figure out what's wrong with Paris, why all of these outbursts, why the incident with the knife. Um, she actually becomes very frustrated with just the lack of communication the doctors had with her while Paris was there. Paris was there for about a week and then he was released. Um they gave, they didn't really, she says in a documentary that at that point, they didn't really give her much information. And I, she, she says that once she picks, picked him up, she was kind of frustrated with the whole thing. They had handed her a file, I guess, with, you know just things that they noted about Paris. But she said that she never really read that at that point. Like she didn't open it. I know. I thought that was odd too, because that is the first thing I'm doing. I am opening up that file, especially if that's why I took him there because I wanted to know what was wrong. But then I also get the fact that she's just fed up with the hospital and, and also too, you know, maybe Paris comes out of that week and he seems fine do you know what I'm talking and about? And Maybe like- they
1: didn't really explain what it was that it just looked like discharge papers. So she's like, well, OK, I don't even like there's nothing here. Because yeah. I feel like if there was actual information that was noteworthy and concerning, they would have said something.
0: Yes. Yes. Correct. So after this... Sh- She just decides we need a fresh start. Um, So she decides to move west to Abilene um, with, it's just her. Like they just need, with all of everything that was going on between her and her mom and Paris, they just need a new setting and a new start. So she got a job at Buffalo Wild Wings in Abilene, Texas. They had a nice house. And unfortunately, more than a year later she would end up losing both of her children. So this is what happens. Now again, trigger warning just for everybody. Just Here one, we go. Last, time it gets one bad. last time. One last time. One last time. On February 5th of 2007, around 1230 AM, Charity was working a shift at Buffalo Wild Wings when her manager called her off the floor. Uh, when she went to the manager's office, there were two police officers there and they told her that her daughter, Ella, who was four years old, was hurt. So she immediately is like, okay, take, take me to her. Like she needs her mom. Take me to where she is. Right. And the police officer told her, we can't, she's dead.
1: And that is a completely different conversation.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Oh my so god. So she said. She said. She. She said. That's when her like whole world just stopped spinning, and then she asked uh, if her son Paris, who was thirteen at the time, was okay. And the officers told her, "We have him." And those words didn't really compute in her mind. Right. And then she asked about the babysitter because there was a 21-year-old Hardin Simmons University student who was supposed to be babysitting the kids. Um, So she asked about the babysitter, but the police said that there was no babysitter when they went to the house.
1: Oh, I don't like that.
0: So they take her to the house. Everything is taped off. Sirens everywhere. Charity is just losing her mind. So this is what happened. Earlier that evening, the babysitter said that she got there, Charity left for work, she took the kids out for some Chinese food. They came back to the house, they watched Alice in Wonderland before she put Ella to bed, like a totally normal night. Yeah. Paris went to his room to continue to work on his essay about the Trojan War. And this was around like eight or nine, right? Okay. Around ten p m Paris comes out and convinces the babysitter that she can leave that he's got this it's totally fine no that that his mom said that she could go uh no. that yeah, exactly. Right? Uh-uh. I no. feel like, cool, cute story. Get your ass to bed. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'll wait here till I actually hear those words from your mother. Like, hello, right?
1: 13-year-old child. Like, exactly. no, I'm not leaving you here alone.
0: Exactly. Unfortunately, the babysitter leaves, <sighs> which I am sure is a mistake that has haunted her for the rest oh, of her I life. Paris, as soon as she leaves, immediately goes into the kitchen Grabs a knife, goes to Ella's room, mm. his four year old sister who is asleep, and starts to beat her and choke her and stabs her 17 times. Oh. And sexually assaults her.
1: Oh.
0: Yeah, just we need, to, I need to take a deep breath. Oh, that is a lot. The, when the autopsy report came out, mm-hmm. um, they noted that there was a cluster of deep stab wounds on Ella's chest, numerous cuts to her fingers, wrists, and forearms, which indicated that she had fought back. Oh. Yeah.
1: And this a little baby. Yeah, is a four-year-old. Four years old, fighting off her brother.
0: Who was just watching Alice in Wonderland. Like...
1: Completely normal yeah. night.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Paris doesn't call 911. Instead, he calls a friend to tell the friend that he thinks he hurt his sister. Okay. That phone call lasts about six minutes. Then he waits two more minutes and he calls 911. And when the 911 operator answers, he says, I accidentally killed somebody. And then he pauses, and and then he says, and I quote, no, I know I did. My sister, I feel so messed up. And then he continues to tell the operator that he thought she was a demon, and that's why he had to kill her. So the operator is trying to get Paris to calm down. Uh, the operator says, okay, I'm going to need you to perform CPR. And Paris is like, no, she's dead. And the operator's like, but it might help till like paramedics get there. And he's like, he's like, no, she's dead. I can't perform CPR. So the operator basically makes him perform CPR, right? But instead of performing CPR, Paris just sits there and starts fake counting she asks him to count to 30 so you can hear him put the phone down uh-huh. he steps he takes a couple of steps away from the phone and he's like One, two.
1: Oh, so very obviously not doing oh chest yeah impressions.
0: yeah um he sounds upset but in the documentary the family i had uh charity listens to that uh the 911 call and she looks at the camera and she's like and she's heard it many times before she's like he's not even crying like that's paris's fake like that's not paris upset his voice is totally different like he knows what he's done right there um and yeah he just sat there basically so officers finally get there um They put him in the car, and he's telling the officers the same thing he had told the 911 operator that he was having hallucinations. He said his sister looked like a pumpkin-headed demon on fire that was maniacally laughing at him. Like, that's his story that he's talking about.
1: I mean, it sounds like he's describing Jack Skellington at the beginning of... Uh, Nightmare Nightmare Before Christmas.
0: Yeah, yeah. The officers and the first responders totally doubted him from the start. And they even doubted that he even attempted CPR like the operator had told him to do because they noted that there was almost zero blood on the floor. And Ella was laying on her side. She was... uh, There was tons of blood on the bed where the stabbing occurred. But on the floor, there was very little blood she was laying on her side and they said that all the stab wounds that she had in her back had he performed CPR where he was like doing chest compressions Mm -hmm. there should have been a lot more blood that would have gotten onto the floor oh yeah with all of that so Later, the officer who interviewed Paris noticed that uh, Paris was really trying hard to seem like he was crying, but everyone noticed that there were zero tears coming from his eyes. Uh, Charity, obviously, because she is just, you know, her whole world is like turned upside down at this point. She believes Paris's hallucination claim at first and And I believe she has every right to because Paris's father, right? Had audio and visual hallucinations. Mm -hmm. So she's probably thinking this totally makes sense. Everything makes sense now, right? He's been maybe a paranoid schizophrenic this whole time and I just never knew, right? So her mind is immediately changed after she reads the autopsy report. Um, And she says that when she read that report, She had no idea how much Ella had suffered. And um, she also found out in that report that detectives had discovered semen on the bed where they found Ella Mm -hmm. and inside of the shorts Paris was wearing that night. So she said once she read all of that, she's kind of like, he, this isn't, he Like, there's something more here, right, than just hallucinations. Um, So she decides she's going to go talk to Paris. So she goes, visits him at the juvenile justice center where he was being held. And Charity says that she told Paris, I know you did this on purpose. I know you're lying. And she said that Paris got really quiet and there was kind of like a shift in his demeanor. She said that he looked like, it looked like a totally other person took over and she said, he starts laughing and says to her, and I quote, well, it took you fucking long enough. What? Yes. When I read that part, like my stomach turned over. That is so
1: that's, fucked. I mean, that's creepy. Um, mm-hmm. But also, like, that is so sad. Yeah. That he's... Yeah. I mean, mental illness is, you don't always catch it, but how can he be, I'm trying to say this without sounding super judgmental, but how can he be that sick and no one saw it?
0: Uh, I know, I know. <clears throat> well, I mean, granted, g- he's also
1: a uh, early, te- young teenage boy and a lot of uh, characteristics of um, psychopathy and uh mental illness especially the more like the paranoid schizophrenic some of those they they cross so it's, yeah that's why they don't diagnose people with this stuff when they're oh yeah kids. when they're
0: young when they're young so After that, she then asks Paris about the semen and that just like put him over the edge. He flips the table up, pins her to the wall, cutting, cutting off her air supply. And then like till an officer came in and kind of like disrupted it all. Right. And stopped. it. I
1: cannot believe she asked him about like that is a lot.
0: Yeah. So shortly after that, the real story comes out. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Paris says this murder was 100% planned that he had woke up that morning in a clear state of mind on February 4th because remember the murder happened early in the morning on February 5th Mm -hmm. February 4th is when she started started her shift Um, and his plan actually was to kill both his sister and his mother he said that was his original plan he even said that And I quote, for many years, there was just this hot flaming ball of wrath in the pit of my stomach. And it was directed at my mother.
1: This poor child.
0: And this, he says in uh, Pierre Morgan's documentary that was released in 2019. It's called Psychopath. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, the story of Paris Bennett. But then he started thinking and he explains all of this. If I killed my mom, then she would only suffer a short time. And he basically says that he wanted his mom to suffer for the rest of her life. Okay. So what would cause her the most pain was if he found out a way to take away both of her children oh my in one fell swoop. So that's very complicated this is,
1: thinking for a 13-year-old. Yeah.
0: Well, it turns out Paris has a genius IQ. Really, he, uh, he scored later when they tested his IQ. Obviously, after he was going through all the psychological evaluations and everything, he was at 141, oh, which apparently, wow. which apparently, only 0.025 percent of the population score at so he is yeah i think 140
1: is the cutoff for mensa
0: yeah so he is extremely intelligent oh wow um two weeks later in the da's office paris tells his mom this one got me too you used to say that you would never be able to kill anybody unless they hurt one of your kids i bet you didn't think it was going to turn out like this did you He is so horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And several times throughout, like, because you're going to see the the very complicated kind of relationship that kind of, like, goes, comes out of this between Charity and her son. Um, But afterwards, Paris told his mother many times in the times that they would talk and in letters, I enjoy watching your pain. Is what he tells his mom. What a little shithead. Yeah. In a journal entry, less than a month after the murder, Charity wrote, uh, my son is a monster. Because he is a monster, I lost my daughter. Which, see, this is where this case gets me. Because like I told you at the beginning... I tell my kids all the time, there isn't anything you could do that would make me stop loving you. But I don't know if I'm Charity and Paris has killed my daughter and he's clearly like there's something wrong with him. Yeah. It's not like my love is going to have to change at the very least. Yeah.
1: Because if this was a hallucination, I could. Maybe still find it in myself to feel like, you know, this wasn't your fault. But this is very clearly him being malicious on purpose. So that I mean. Uh,
0: Well, and wanting to hurt his mother and hurt her in the deepest way possible. Because, again, like he said, I taking away both her children, which because he killed Ella, knowing that he would then go away forever. Mm -hmm. Right. Because he would be put away. So he thought all of that through. Yeah. Yeah. And then having her have to suffer with the fact that her daughter is gone and the son that she thought she knew is gone.
1: The son that literally saved her life.
0: Also destroyed it. And she says that in the documentary. She's Because when I told you that part where when he was a baby, she would always say, uh, Paris, remind me to tell you about how you saved my life when you're older. And then she's like, here's this kid who saved my life and then later destroyed it.
1: Yeah. Does yeah. He throw that back in her face at any point. Like, no. Uh-uh. Okay. I
0: mean, I definitely recommend you watching the documentaries. Both of them. One is called the family I had. And the other one is called, um, psychopath. And they're both actually, the family I had is on Amazon and psychopath is actually on Netflix right now. Okay. So, um, shortly after this horrible event, Charity uh, started journal writing to, to like, write down her thoughts. Uh, she actually did not seek professional mental health or cance- counseling services until two years after the murder happened. Oh. And later she said that it was Paris' defense team that had... Advised her against it because they told her that prosecutors could subpoena the files and use it against Paris. So, so she. So
1: she was still trying to protect her. Yes.
0: Son? Oh, you wait till you oh. hear everything. Yeah. No, this woman. I give her major. I, I, I don't know how this woman did any of this that she goes on to do. Okay. Uh, when she finally did seek. Professional help, she was diagnosed obviously with severe PTS and major depressive disorder. Uh huh. Unfortunately, for those two years when she couldn't go to counseling or seek help, she resorted to heavy drinking. She just went, I mean, as anybody would. I don't even know how this. I'm
1: glad she didn't relapse (sighs) on like the hard drugs, but resorting to drinking isn't a whole lot better. Yeah. It's.
0: Yeah. yeah, But still, do you blame her though? Do no. you blame her? No, no, absolutely not. I
1: absolutely blame the defense team.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was kind of shitty on their part. Uh yeah. she actually also attempted suicide several times by overdosing on sleeping pills during this time. Mm-hmm. Um which I again, I I totally get. Like I, I totally get it. I I don't even know how she would I don't know. Anyways, um and it was this during this time, too, that she just became very frustrated with the justice system. And she got kind of like a firsthand kind of glimpse into how things work. Um, she said that Paris's defense team wanted him to be found not guilty due to insanity, obviously, but prosecutors wanted to find him guilty and lock him up for life. So she felt like she was stuck in the middle because she wanted Paris to be held accountable, but, and I quote, I also wanted to know what was wrong with him and how to help him, right? So she I mean, wanted both. I she's trying to
1: do right by both her children. She exactly. wants treatment for her daughter, and she wants treatment for her son.
0: Yeah, and what a position to be in, right? When she was at the sentence, when she went to the sentencing hearing, she said there was a moment where she walked in, and she did not know what side to sit on. Oh, yeah. And so she went to a bailiff, and this bailiff got her a chair oh. and put it in the middle And she sat in the middle. I know, isn't that? Like, don't you just want to, like... Oh, uh, that just, like, got me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Shortly after this, with all the journal, you know, writing that she kept, she wrote a memoir, and the book was called How Now, Butterfly. And it just chronicles her life and the loss of basically both of her children. She goes through, you know, the night that it happened, uh, Paris's childhood, Ella's childhood, which, you know... um, Ella, by the way, was just like this beautiful little girl and she was spunky and she was sassy. And you know prior to the murder, Paris, I want to point out, was actually a really he was a loving, caring big brother. Um, the memoir ends in 2011 and that's the same year she actually founded the nonprofit. Ella Foundation. I'll tell you what the E-L-L-A stands for. And the reason why she calls her book the How Now Butterfly is because she associates her daughters with butterflies because that was the last painting that Ella made in school oh. was of a butterfly. And when she came back to the house uh, after the murder, she found this butterfly brooch in the backyard. Uh-huh. Um, and anyways, the book reveals just a lot of information about their life. And it also reveals ugh, that Paris admits to and told his mom that he watched violent porn for hours before the murder. So while Babysitter is out in the living room and he's supposed to be working on his Trojan War essay, he's basically just watching violent porn. And um, he also searched snuff films for hours leading up to the murder and that he was into films that featured s and bondage, and sadism. Mm. She also says in her book that uh, through autopsy reports and um, talking to detectives that, um, and I quote, his stabs were slow and methodical, not frenzied, not an uncontrollable rage, not all were deep. Most were shallow jabs and punctures.
1: Okay. So when you mentioned earlier that Ella had small cuts on her fingers and arms, uh-huh. that's actually where my head went first. It wasn't yeah. to defensive wounds. Yeah. It was to Paris playing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Stop. Yes. Just. Um. I keep going
1: back to the fact that this boy is 13 years old. Yeah. And when it how happened. Yeah. I just feel horrible. Yeah, for, I mean, what he did is inexcusable, but I can't help f- but feel bad for him, and like him not getting the. So, when when did he go to the
0: the psychiatric hospital? When he was around eleven years old, I want to say. Okay. She did open the file eventually, like obviously after the murder, she goes back and that's when she decides to look at the file. And it does note that he had, um, homicidal tendencies. And so, they didn't
1: think to mention to, this to her.
0: Or to like get even more, uh, I don't know, help for him, I, But then, remember, right after that, that's when she moves to um, Abilene, Texas, right? Right.
1: But you would think, like, when you're trying to check your son out of this facility, that they would have some kind of uh, process to be like, hey, this is what we noticed, not just here you go, here's some paper. Like, something as serious as homicidal tendencies, I would think warrants a little bit of a face-to-face discussion, but that's just me. Yeah,
0: yeah. So the book also covers that Paris would later say that he uh, murdered his. So like, you know, he went with the hallucinations first. Then the fact that he was just pissed at his mom and he did this to get at his mom. But then later he also says that he did it to cover up the sexual abuse that took place that night. I, I don't I believe that this was just all planned all uh, to get back at his mom.
1: I think that comment is just a new way for him to get at his mom.
0: Yeah, exactly. But even after all of this, Charity is very vocal that she has never once stopped loving her son. And she says, and I quote, I love my firstborn with as much intensity as I have the day I found out I was pregnant with him.
1: I don't know how she does it.
0: I don't either. Uh, She says it took years of self-reflection to forgive him for what he did, which she has, and to accept him for who he is. But she said that part was also necessary to not give Paris the satisfaction of destroying her like because that was his intent, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's almost like, again, she's stuck in the middle, right? She doesn't want to give him what he, he wanted by doing this, was to destroy her. So instead, she does the opposite. She forgives him, continues to love him, um, because... And
1: that's probably her way of dealing. getting more justice for her daughter.
0: Yes. So that...
1: Um, her murderer doesn't win, which is Exa- so hard when they're both your children.
0: And and I want to say Charity still is very afraid of her son. OK,
1: probably rightfully so.
0: So in 2012, Charity actually becomes pregnant with another child that she names Phoenix for obvious reasons. Right. Rising from the action. Right. Actions. Ashes phoenix oh this is, okay this part breaks my heart too so um unfortunately phoenix was born with an faulty heart valve and he needed <laughs> open heart surgery at one week old or no at six days old this kid has open heart surgery wow uh she said that she called paris to let him know about you know, Phoenix and needing open heart surgery. And she said that Paris cried like for the first time, she didn't. He never cried about Ella. He never cried to her about being where he was. He never cried to her about anything else, but like cried about Phoenix being born with this heart condition because he felt like his mom didn't deserve that. Like he, she didn't deserve uh-huh. to have another child. With I know it's weird. Is he? I, is I think he getting it's getting the
1: psychiatric care that he's he, capable. He of is, that?
0: <laughs> Not really. I think I'm just questioning
1: the sincerity of this.
0: I am here. too, and I think Charity does too. In okay. the back of her mind, like this is just manipulation, right? Uh, maybe
1: there's a part of her that's hopeful it's real, yeah. But uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Charity said that. Um, isn't it ironic that the woman with a broken heart has a child born with a broken heart?
1: Oh,
0: oh, like stop it, Charity stop it (laughs) how
1: long do you think she thought about that soundbite
0: I don't know I don't know but it got me it got me uh so Phoenix spent several months in the NICU obviously because he had open-heart surgery Mm -hmm. um and while while he was staying in the NICU uh she kept uh the same okay (laughs) this It's gonna get me too she kept the same copy of The Wizard of Oz that she had been reading with Ella every night before the murder and the book was actually still bookmarked in the part that she stopped with Ella Mm -hmm. uh, that she didn't get to continue and um, it's like right before the gang gets to the Emerald City Um, oh (laughs) stop it (laughs) <laughs> and she began reading um, that to Phoenix while he was in the NICU. So she would just go in there and read that same book to him. Aww. I know. Um, by the way, Phoenix today is healthy and fine. Um, yeah, the 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 heart surgery was a success. He's a healthy kid. Charity is. Like I said, she founded that um, Ella Foundation, which she is the executive director for. And Ella stands for Empathy, Love, Lessons, and Action. And it's located out of Savannah, Georgia. And basically, her mission is to aid those affected by violence, mental illness, and the criminal justice system. Because, again, she's seen it all, right? Yeah. And she actually got her master's degree so even through all of this she goes back to school gets her master's degree and she is now trained um, and certified to teach numerous um, psychoeducation classes she uh, develops evidence based programs for the Ella foundation um, and she travels the world to share her story of loss forgiveness and to advocate for greater mental health awareness wow That's I know a lot <laughs> that is is a lot. Um, Now, Paris, I want to tell you a little bit about Paris and his experience in lockup. So at first, when he uh, got to the juvenile detention center, he uh, really kept to himself and he would only express himself through letters and drawing pictures. People said he was very quiet. Um, But after that, he started to become more defiant. He started refusing to follow directions. Um, two months before he was sentenced, he actually punched a, a, a peer several times on the basketball court. Apparently, for no apparent reason, the kid that he was punching didn't even fight back. Like, he just started wailing on him, and that was that. Um, and he
1: has violent tendencies. Yeah. He's mentally unwell. Ex- so. Exactly.
0: Um, he also flooded his room at one point, laughed at the staff that responded. He was often in trouble for demeaning comments to um, his younger peers or while staying, being an asshole. Basically, um, when discussing his offense or the murder of his sister with others, he would often just be smiling oh. about it. Um, staffers reported that he tried to manipulate them many, many times to give him his mother's uh, address, which... No! Yeah, which Charity is like, never give my son my address ever. Right? Um his initial evaluations after the murders were obviously, or the murder, he was diagnosed as a psychopath. Uh, like I told you, his IQ was tested and he scored 141. Uh,
1: I'm going to stop you right there what? because psychopath is not a diagnosis. It doesn't exist.
0: Well, that's what they call him.
1: That's, it doesn't exist. It's not a thing.
0: Well, then why, did they, why do they say that? But she said he was diagnosed with psychopath whatever
1: psychopathy is uh, an overarching umbrella over all of those things. Psychopath is not a thing like it's not in the DSM five. It is not a diagnosis.
0: Well, they say I, I, I
1: always have to call that out Okay Because No
0: thank you Thank you I don't want to sound like an idiot
1: No no you're fine Most people don't realize That Psychopath is not in the DSM-5 And Psychopath is not in I can't remember what it's called But it's Europe's version of the DSM Yeah Psychopath is not a thing It doesn't exist Okay And so it it gets to me sometimes when people yeah. use it yeah. because it has become this like cute thing. Like, Oh, I'm a psychopath. psychopath yeah. Like, no, you're not shut yeah. the fuck up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Teachers would later say that Paris was one of the most intelligent students they've ever had when he was in school. Like they would say his reading level and the things <laughs> he talked about was equal to like a college graduate. Um, Charity talks about in the documentary, there were two times where she just wanted to cut ties with Paris and just be done with him. Um, and the first time was when he filed for emancipation after he was transferred to a youth correctional facility. Um, he then used his manipulated his grandma to try to become his guardian, right? And just to further drive a wedge between grandma and charity, right? Um, and it just strained that relationship even more. But then later, Paris kind of dropped that and dropped that lawsuit. Um, he wrote a paper for his counselor, uh, which Charity describes as kind of like his manifesto. And the counselor shared it with uh, with Charity. Um, and in it, he just talks about Ella's murder in vivid detail, uh, his fascination with death and his just deep resentment for his mother and her drug use. And
1: so I feel like he has a legitimate point that, you know, he, he was forced to grow up quickly because of his mother's drug use and her relapsing. But I also feel like he's really playing it hard. Yeah. Just to give himself an excuse.
0: Well, and because I think he knows what he's doing, right? Oh,
1: yeah, definitely. He knows
0: what he's doing. Um, And instead of talking to a counselor or teacher or a friend about his concerns at the time, about his mom's drug use or, you know, whatever, he said that he settled on the morbid. So I I could go talk to people about how I'm feeling about my mom and how angry I am. But you know what? I'm going to do something else about it. Um, he also wrote, and I quote, another key motive to my offense, I wanted to see someone die. So he's basically saying another reason I killed my sister is because I, I wanted to see someone die. Go to a hospital, dude. Yeah. After Charity read this, she went to go see him and she was crying and just asking him again, like, why are you saying these things? Why, why, why are you doing this? Why did you kill you yeah. know, he loved every uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Of it. And Paris responded with, and I quote God damn it, mom, just get over it already. It's been almost two years already. People die all the time. <sighs> yeah. Um, six months after the murder, he pleaded true to capital murder and received only 40 years, a 40-year sentence with the possibility of parole after 20 of those really? years. Yes. <laughs> so he served the first five at the Texas Department of Juvenile Justice in Giddings State School. Then he was ordered to an adult prison to serve out the remainder of his sentence.
1: Oh, but remember, they um, they don't allow life sentences for minors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, okay. The 40 years, um, makes more sense. Yeah.
0: The documentary, the family I had, uh, interviews him when he was transferred into that new, uh, adult (laughs) prison. Um, he, if he is released after the 40 years, he will be 53 when he is finally released,
1: which is still more than enough time to do something again.
0: Yeah. Um, throughout all the interviews and documentaries that he's participated in, he rarely shows remorse for the murder. Obviously, because he has because he, he has none. Yeah, exactly. And he claims that just because he doesn't show it doesn't mean he doesn't feel it.
1: Bullshit.
0: Dude. And he says he says why would I sit here and fake it? That's just not who I am. And then he even goes on to talk. He says something like, um, like. In order to show remorse, that would involve a lot of self-reflection, and prison is not exactly the setting that that would work in.
1: That is literally what it's for. (laughs) Exactly. Like, child, you have nothing to do all day but self-reflect. What are you talking about?
0: Exactly, exactly. In um, the Piers Morgan documentary, Psychopath, uh, Piers Morgan talks about how charming and well-spoken Paris is, which he is. Um, Paris he would have
1: to be to convince yeah, the babysitter to go home. Yeah. Uh,
0: Paris says that he just grew up feeling left out and alone growing up. And he does say that... And he speaks in the present tense when he says this part, but he says, I love Ella with every fiber of my being. And then someone's like, do you really know what love is? And he admits that he does not really know what love is or recognizes love or how to recognize it, or he can't recognize it. Um throughout this documentary, so this documentary is really interesting because throughout the interview with Piers Morgan, he his mom is sitting in another room watching the interview, and so are two uh psychologists. They're watching it. Um Did and Paris
1: know they were watching.
0: No, uh-uh. Okay. But their their commentary is like peppered throughout the documentary. And Dr. Casey Jordan, um, in there says psychopathy can't be cured. He will not, cannot change. He can be managed, which is why he is in prison, but it will never go away. Uh,
1: And while you've been talking, I've been doing some searching on the side. Uh Um, The closest diagnosis to psychopath Mm -hmm. um, in the DSM five is antisocial personality disorder.
0: Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so
1: I think um, he's ma- not diagnosed as a sociopath, but um, diagnosed they don't, with they don't feel anything, and he obviously no. feels joy at what he's doing. So, oh, yeah. So, um, antisocial personality disorder is probably closest. Yeah, it's just unfortunate that people keep calling him a psychopath because that yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah, so I don't know why they keep using it. These people are professionals. They should know better.
0: Well, well you watch the documentary crystal because Dr. Casey Jordan uses the word. Well,
1: you know what? (laughs) Dr. Casey Jordan should get his license revoked. (laughs)
0: Um, So uh, that documentary is a good one to watch. If you're interested in hearing more about this, the family I had, which was released in 2017 is also great in that documentary. Paris claims that uh, he doesn't feel he has mental illness He says he just has issues like everybody else and uh, admits that while he doesn't, he just doesn't connect to basic emotions, uh, but takes responsibility for what he did because that was a choice he made. Right. But
1: he doesn't think that the choice was wrong, which is the the problem here. It
0: was just a choice. Right. So now Paris is uh, serving the rest of his time at the Ferguson unit. Uh, Texas State Prison. Right now, he's currently around 26 years old. He is going to be eligible for parole in 2028. Uh, Charity, by the way, still calls him regularly. And Paris writes his mother and his brother letters all the time. Man,
1: if I was Charity, I would not be letting... She lets
0: Phoenix talk to him on the phone. Really? Yes. But Charity also says, on the same hand, she does that to kind of keep Paris happy. In a way, like, uh, so there's one part in the documentary where she's in the car, uh, Paris calls her, she answers the telephone call, it's on speakerphone, Phoenix says hi, Paris has some interaction with Phoenix, like, hey, buddy, you know, like, what's going on? Are you gonna watch Star Wars, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And Charity says, you know, when I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to Paris talk to his brother, uh, I'm not getting like this warm fuzzy feeling inside I'm doing it to kind of appease a monster and so that to kind of keep the peace and always in the back of my mind I'm like this is manipulation this is all manipulation and um experts have advised Charity that she they advise her that Phoenix like she needs to take Phoenix into hiding Once Paris is released. Oh, absolutely. And have zero contact with him.
1: I wonder if her situation would warrant um, uh, the actual Marshall's. um, What is it called? Witness protection. protection.
0: I don't know. I would hope so. I would want it to. Right.
1: I mean, it's real hard when she's leading Ella.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, man. I don't know. But I wonder, he, she would have to step down at that point because if she's touring around giving speeches oh, yeah. for the Ella she's, Foundation, yeah. he knows exactly where she's going to be. There's so much totally. about her life that is going to change so much. when
0: Totally, when he gets out. Totally. Yeah.
1: Unless um, he dies in prison, but...
0: Oh, God, I hope so. Um, and, you know, Charity talks about that the reason... She lets Paris have communication with Phoenix, you know, not only to appease him, but she just wants to teach her child unconditional love and forgiveness, which there's other ways to teach it, but whatever to each their own. There um, are. she says she will never be comfortable with Paris. She forgives him, but she knows exactly who he is.
1: Uh huh. Good.
0: So she, she makes that very, very clear. Um, Three months before, I wanted to just tell you about this because I found this interesting. This was I found this part on a um, a guest piece she wrote on this blog called uh, "Prison or Friends." friends of prison so kind of those advocates for people who are in prison and their families and you know stuff like that Uh, but three months before Ella's murder Paris had turned 13 and Lee wrote um, Paris a list of 13, 13 things that loving him had taught her and one of the things on that list was Um, This was actually the first thing on that list was live in the here and now. The past cannot be changed and the future is yours for creating. Um, Three years later, she wrote him another letter when he was in custody now for the murder of his sister. Mm -hmm. And she wrote him and added three more items to that list because he was now 16. So 16
1: things when he's 16. Yeah.
0: And one of those that she added was, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, no matter what you may do, I always have and I always will love you to the stars and back.
1: That is so hard. I don't know where she gets it.
0: I, 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 I kind of do because again, that goes back to what I was saying. I, I don't there's nothing my children could do to make me ever, ever stop loving them. But this comes super close, though. It, it does. <laughs> like, it comes super close. So this woman, I mean, you need to watch those documentaries and see her. She, She's uh, where she gets her strength from and... <clears throat> and How she's walked through life after this and how she's created, you know, that foundation uh, to advocate for for families, you know, and prisoners and mental health. I, you know, I don't know.
1: I mean, she found her calling. Exactly. It is really unfortunate the way she found it. Yeah. It's unfortunate that the rest of her life is being lived uh, in the memory of her daughter yeah because of her son
0: I know and when you see the pictures when we post them on Instagram and on Facebook (coughs) and you see Paris and Ella prior to this there's tons of pictures and videos of them together he looks just like your typical kid like there's I did
1: I saw some pictures of yeah he looks cute normal he looks a little weird now he's bald oh yeah now now, like now skin skin in prison hair. it's a
0: it's a kind of different story but prior to that like ha- if I passed him walking on the street I would not even bat an eye yeah
1: just if I a thought cute- I would expect to see him like riding a bike down the street yeah or or like at a skate park with friends yeah. like that he just looks normal yeah just a cute kid anywho
0: Jesus, you're welcome. Well, thanks. <laughs> <coughs> 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 ah, gosh, that add is to the just... list of sick people <laughs> this week is Paris Bennett. I know Paris Bennett, and what a name too! Like
1: legitimately sick though. Like, yeah, I really do feel awful that he has this condition that is incurable. It's manageable, but what happens when he gets released from prison and? no one's forcing him to do psychiatric therapy and no one's forcing him to be medicated. And
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: I guess in 2028, we'll, we'll find out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, hopefully he doesn't get parole. I can't imagine. he would. It's Texas. I I can't
0: either. Hopefully. Ugh. Anyways. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, thank you. Take that little nugget little nugget put, put it under your pillow and have some sweet dreams there <laughs> yeah uh, uh, thanks for listening uh, yeah thank you and we'll um s- s- talk to you guys again soon i guess yeah we'll right? see you next
1: week yeah all right mm, it's my turn to <laughs> do something hopefully you know what next week's case is not this bad um it's actually a more fairly well-known case and uh, uh, we have some interesting things to cover. so I'm excited for that one. Yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, we've been working on this one for a while. Yeah. Um, and we're excited about it. Yeah. So. Yay. Yep. All right. Well, I will talk to you later. Yep. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Kat and I are so grateful for all of our listeners, and we love hearing from you guys. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Alternative Interest Podcast, and let us know your thoughts on this week's case. We want to cover the things that you guys want to hear, so please email us your case suggestions at alternativeinterestpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for listening and sharing us with your friends. Be good to each other, and we'll see you next week.